Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Randy Mitchell. Jesus said to his disciples, Ye are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt and Light confronts the difficult and often controversial issues that affect today's culture. The only hope for this generation is for more people to follow Jesus Christ and for his followers to be salt and light in their community. Pastor Randy will discuss the Bible solutions to help us know what God says about the problems we face today. Salt and Light is a ministry of Temple Baptist Church in Statesville, North Carolina. Here's your host, Pastor Randy Mitchell. Good morning. Welcome to Salt and Light. It is great to be with you here this early Tuesday morning. I'm joined here in the studio by a very special guest, Brother Ben Smoker. He has been on Salt and Light a number of times in the past, and uh, Brother Ben, uh, here we are early on a Tuesday morning, live from the station. Uh, appreciate you getting up early, and uh, I, I had to get up a little early. I'm kind of an early riser anyways, so I didn't have to get up too much earlier than I normally do, but I appreciate you joining us here today. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. I'm this is this is normal uptime for me. This is running a clock normally, so my legs are taking a break today. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, it is good to be here, and we appreciate all of you. We've got some folks probably commuting to work, as well as maybe some early risers uh, like ourselves. But uh, I just uh, wanted to talk a little bit here as we start out Salt and Light about um, our trip. We just got back from Ecuador. Uh, the last few weeks, our broadcast has been pre-recorded because we knew we'd be out of town. Uh, we went to Ecuador. It was supposed to be for 10 days, and uh, the airline, uh, you know, anybody that's flying commercial airlines these days, and I know you fly quite a bit, you have to be prepared not only to be flexible, but to be fluid. Uh, it's kind of crazy flying these days. It, it, it is. Um, considering that they're just glorified taxis with wings, it's amazing that the taxi driver does a much better job of getting you where you're going on time. <laughs> that is true. And now, he doesn't lose your baggage. Yeah. Now, fortunately, we didn't lose any baggage, but it does happen every now and then. But uh, we had we were supposed to go uh, a week from this past uh, Monday uh, from yesterday, no, 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 I'm sorry, it would be two weeks ago now, and um, we just, uh, early, like, two o'clock in the morning, when we're supposed to be at the airport at, like, eight that morning, the airline just decided to cancel everybody's flight, we had a group of about 15 people ready to go, and um, so they just canceled our flights, and so we had to wait till the same time the next day. So a 10-day trip turned into a 9-day trip, but fortunately coming back, you know, you don't mind getting stranded at home for a day, but getting stranded in a foreign country or in uh, Atlanta on the way back where your layover is, you just, I don't, I don't like being stranded um, for stuff like that, but I'm sure that you've had to experience things like that. Been, I've been through all of that, and based on my experiences of being stranded in Atlanta, I'd rather be stranded in a foreign country, probably. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I think I'd probably agree with that. We, um, You know, Ecuador, some foreign countries, maybe not so much. I've been to some foreign countries that I would much rather get stranded in Atlanta, but Ecuador was actually, we had a great trip, and this is the first time that I've personally been to Ecuador. We went to help out with a couple of missionaries that we support, uh, Jonathan Hoffmeister and Chris Thompson. Uh, I've known Chris since he was seven years old. I think he's 28 now, almost 30. 
And uh, now Jonathan, I haven't, I've only known him maybe uh, seven or eight, nine years or so, but uh, they are doing a great work there in Ecuador. They've been there a couple of years in, uh, in a um, oh, fairly large city, about 800,000 people, Ambato, Ecuador. I've been to Colombia about 12 years ago, which is not too far away, but it's certainly a different culture than Ecuador. So I didn't know what to expect going to Ecuador, but I got to say, I really enjoyed uh, the people and the culture. There was some great things about it. I wish that uh, every time I go on a mission trip, I think, especially to a Spanish-speaking country, I think when I get home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn Spanish. And then by the time I get home, I don't. <laughs> so I don't know how many times I've made that promise to myself. Maybe this time I'll work on it just a little bit more. So anyhow, but I enjoyed Ecuador. Uh, what are some countries that you've um, traveled to, Brother Ben? Um, spent most of my life growing up in Australia. Um, and as far as other countries, um, USA and New Zealand. So um, outside of Australia and U.S., just New Zealand is okay. all I've visited before. Now, it sounds like we were talking about before the broadcast that uh, perhaps maybe here in the near mm -hmm. future, a trip to Thailand. I know that'll be exciting. And uh, I, I, I know I love Thai food, but that doesn't mean that just because you like the food doesn't mean that uh, the country's going to be just like what you're used to. It'll be very interesting to me, for, for me. Um, the missionary that I'm uh, probably going to be visiting, good friend of mine, I've known him for quite a long time now. The grand irony of what you just said is um, I talked to him many years ago when he first said he was going to Thailand. I'm like, oh, they've got the best food in the world. And he's like, I like meat and potatoes. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, God sent the wrong person to the wrong country there, but, which is just a joke because the guy, um, uh, Jeff, Brother Jeff, is doing a wonderful job as a missionary in Thailand, really. Yeah. Well, I've known Brother Jeff for a number of years as well, and when he came to, um, to visit our church here in Statesville, we went to the Thai restaurant here locally, and he, he said, I want to go there because I'm trying to get used to eating Thai food. And, and I could tell it just wasn't his thing. But, you know, missions is not about the food. It's nope. not about we had a lot of fun in Ecuador. Uh, got to ride a zip line over a river and canyon. A zip line was probably three or four hundred yards long uh, over this just this tall chasm and pretty exhilarating. And we got to do some really fun things, but also... We helped out with, um, with the, the work's first vacation Bible school. Now, in our area, we call it VBS. Everybody knows what you're talking about when you say VBS. Well, vacation Bible school is not common to their culture. It's, it's a new thing, and this was the first time that this church had ever done it. And they had, um, they had a three-day vacation Bible school, our group from Temple Baptist was able to help out. We did a lot of setup. We handed out some flyers. We had some tear down, a lot of different things that we could do because it's a new church and they didn't have a bunch of workers that they had mm -hmm. trained and had discipled that could help out. So it was a huge help to them having, you know, 12 extra bodies to help out, set up chairs, take down things, haul things, etc. And so uh, it was exciting not only to be part of that, but to see very first vacation Bible school. And they had uh, between the first day, they had 117 kids that came in. 
and by the third day they had 130 and each day they had 15 or 20 kids that responded to the invitation they were able to take them aside and uh, open up the word of god and show them how to be saved now with children as you know we you never do know if they really totally understood or if they're just responding because other people are but you know what we leave that in god's hands and uh, we have to accept that fact but it was a blessing to see those kids so attentive so well behaved they enjoyed the games and the fun and the skit but i'm telling you brother ben they were tuned in to the gospel message and i was able to stand up against the wall and watch that and sometimes i'm just fighting back tears seeing a bunch of people that are just thrilled and attentive to hear the gospel of jesus christ we're almost ready for a break so uh, anyhow, uh, we will talk next um, next segment. We're going to be talking about the Word of God and yep. how that we have a perfect and pure and inspired Bible. And I'm excited about that. We've been uh, talking about that a little bit this past week. So mm-hmm. anyhow, uh, we hope that you'll stay tuned in as we talk about the pure Word of God here in just a few minutes. Welcome back. Uh, Once again, Pastor Randy Mitchell, Brother Ben Smoker, and uh, we are here live from the studio. And Brother Ben, uh, we talked about our topic for today. The next couple segments, we're going to be talking about the Word of God. I'm going to start out by quoting. I've got my Bible right in front of me, but I want to try to quote this verse, not to try to show out, but just because this verse is important to me. And so I'm hopeful that maybe I can quote it from memory. It's, not, it's been a while since I've actually quoted this publicly, but Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times thou shalt keep them O lord thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever now this is a passage of scripture that's important to me because we are um, i guess we're not unique there are a number of other churches in our area and across the country that are like us and the fact that we believe that we have a copy of the pure words of god preserved to us like God promised here in the English language we are King James Bible believers and that didn't used to be uncommon but as time has went on it becomes more and more uncommon and I think that that's sad because I'm glad that I've got a Bible that I can trust and have confidence in I didn't grow up believing that this was the pure word of God nobody told me that in fact I grew up in churches where most Bible teaching and Bible study was not actually studying the Bible. It was studying and comparing different Bible versions. Mm-hmm. And the preacher yep. would say, well, I like what this version says, or I like how this one says it. And so I grew up with hearing ministers do more and kind of pick and choose buffet style Bible exegesis rather than saying, hey, this is what the word of God says. And it was like, we're trying to figure it out and yet I just quoted a verse that made it clear that God promised that he would preserve his word. He, he absolutely did um, and it's interesting you mentioned your background and your story there with you know multiple Bible versions. Um, my background growing up was somewhat similar. Um, I grew up in churches that uh, really only preached from a, from a King James Bible um, but myself uh, growing up 
um, I was probably about eight or nine years old when I first one day on the on the bookshelf at home discovered um, a few other Bibles um, in our in our family, and um, that was my first exposure to anything other than a King James Bible. And I can't specifically remember whether it was revised version or new international version or new American standard, whatever it may have been. But the, there were different Bibles, and I asked my dad, and I'm like, "Hey, dad, this one's." This one's a little bit different. Even as an eight or nine year old kid, I'd noticed that some of the wording wasn't wasn't the same. And I said, "How come these ones are different?" And he's and and I don't remember my dad's exact uh, answer. Um, my dad certainly wasn't what we would call a King James uh, only position on things. And he was like, "Well, that's not that's not exactly the same, but they're all basically the same, and they all say basically the same thing. Just at our church, we own we we just use King James." And I'm like. Okay, but why, why are they? You know, why why did someone even make one that says something different? And I I really don't remember. But that was my first uh, exposure to it, and then things went on for for a number of years. When I was about sixteen years old, um, I I one day got called aside by my best friend's mother, and she said, "We need to have an, a difficult conversation." And I was like, what is that? And because it was my best friend's mother and we, I was a teen, we used to, you know, I was thinking, oh, no, did they find out that we were shooting BBs at the cat or something like that? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, things like that would Busted. happen. Yeah, things like that would happen from time to time. Um, but but she, said, um, she said, we're concerned for you. And I'm like, okay, why? And she said, well, she said, a lot of the people in the church have noticed that um, that you're adopting a cult-like mentality. And I said, well, wh what exactly do you mean? I'm just trying to be a good Christian. And she said, well, we noticed ever since that new preacher came to town, uh, who was a missionary, you, we were talking about missions in the last little segment, missionary came to town um, from Missouri, and she said, we've noticed that you've adopted uh, his position uh, on the Bible, which is a cult-like position. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, he believes and we seem to think that you believe that the King James Bible is the perfect Bible and that all of the other translations have mistakes. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's that's actually what I do believe. And she said, well, and she said a few things. She said, you're not educated enough to come to that kind of conclusion and you shouldn't follow a man and his position on the Bible. And even as a 16 year old kid, I thought, well, that's strange because she's got a position from somewhere. And even though she's my best friend's mum, I don't think she's particularly more educated on the topic than I am. And I just thought that that was really, really strange, that I was accused of being a, a member of a cult um, or following a man. And I, and I actually told her that day, I said, I don't believe that because of what the, the new missionary in town, I said, I believed that before he ever arrived here. And she said, well, then who taught you that? And I said, Nobody taught me that. I said it was a conclusion that I came to, and I said, I guess it must be the Spirit of God. Well, that's when the lid came off the can, when I, you know, were to, to accuse the Spirit of God for guiding me into this position of having a belief about the Bible. Um, and so I set about as a 16, 17-year-old guy. I thought, well, I need to research this. I need to study this out a lot more. It seems to, it seems to create a lot of emotion. Uh, and, and that's one thing I've learned over the years. On both sides of this argument, it creates a lot of emotion. On both sides of the King James or not King James conversation, there's a lot of education. On both sides, there's a lot of, a lot of research.
But sadly, there's a lot of name calling as well. And um, I think that people on in our crowd, and, and I talked to you about this, you know, let's talk about King James only, but not King James ugly. Yes, amen. Um, now, having told my story there of, of you know, how, how this came up with my best friend's mother, out of me and her, uh, and I'm not trying to let myself off the hook here, but, it, you know, who was ugly in that situation? I was accused of being a member of a cult and a follower of a man when I, you know, by someone much my senior. Uh, and it was almost like, and, and by the way, a few months after that, the entire youth group and the leadership of the youth group uh, ganged up on me over the same issue. And they said, we're not comfortable having you around with us anymore because of that. And it reminded me of a verse, what Jesus said, in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Um, there, and, and, and I think of people who are like us, who believe the King James Bible, and sometimes, sadly, people in what you might say is our crowd are very adversarial. They're looking for a fight to pick, just like uh, James and John were here. Hey, Lord, do you want some fire to come down? Let's burn them up. Uh, yeah. And and Jesus rebuked them. It says the next verse, He turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And I think that if there's anyone out there this morning, and there probably are in our town, in our region, Statesville, Mooresville, Iredell County, wherever you're tuned into today, if you're a King James Bible believer, I would implore you not to have that mindset of, I'm going to go burn someone up over this issue today. Because Jesus would say, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. If we've got the right position, and I honestly believe we do, we don't need to be mean about it. We don't need to be nasty about it. Man, if I thought that I knew the cure to COVID and I thought that it was different than what everyone else was saying, I wouldn't go around criticizing people for believing something different. I, I should have a compassionate heart towards them and say, hey, I know something. I've got something that can help you here. That's how I feel about, about our Bible. Um, and, and so I would tell people, if you've ever heard of, you know, King James only churches, and if you've heard that they're all ugly and mean and nasty towards anyone, I would say, you got an open invitation. You want If you want to ever come and visit us at Temple Baptist Church and you're a new international version person, bring it along. Amen. Bring it along. Uh, bring, bring a right attitude with you when you come along and, and we'll talk with you about it and, and we won't be ugly about it. You know, I, brother, I've had uh, people ask me, Pastor, I noticed that you preach from the King James Bible. I, you know, this is my Bible. And I've told them point blank, just keep bringing your Bible. You know, if that's your Bible, I don't want to discourage you from the Word of God. And so, and I said, look, I, I, I hope that eventually you'll come to a King James position yep. because you'll yep. see the difference. And I know uh, I have not the same background as you, but when I was, I was saved as a young boy, and I know that this, my spirit inside of me, there was something just seemed wrong about all these versions and the way that they would be compared. And when I got around some King James Bible believers, I saw a difference in their life. And like the old cliche says, the proof is in the pudding. Yes. And I saw something that was real and right, and it made sense to me that God would preserve his word and that my confidence needs to be in the Bible, not in men. 
And I, we had a similar situation. Uh, one of my um, one of my dad's cousins. We were close. We called her. I I grew up calling her my aunt, and uh, she kind of a attacked my dad when she heard that I had gotten right with God and was in Bible school. And here she has a daughter at that time that was living in sin with her boyfriend. And she kind of went off on my dad about me being in a King James kind Mm -hmm. of cult. And, you know, my dad never said anything mean to her about the way that her daughter was living. But uh, she certainly got pretty impassioned and pretty aggressive about the possibility of my, you know, my dad's son, me being in a King James only type of ministry. And you know what? I, 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 I understand that. And it didn't, it certainly didn't offend me. I'm just glad that the Lord gave me a Bible that I can count on. And that's why we don't have to be ugly about it. If, you know, if you've got a sword, then just use it. You don't have to know. Listen, I don't know everything about. I've taught manuscript evidence, and I don't believe this book out of total ignorance, but I don't know everything there is to know about the the manuscript evidence and the preservation. There's some things that God did that I scratch my head. I don't understand how God did that and gave us a, a Bible in English. And there are questions about that that people have that are legitimate questions. But mm-hmm. it's just like everything. There, there does come a point where you have to have faith and the Bible has evidence about itself. And yes. at some point you have to trust God. It's just like God's existence. It's just like creation. And so much of what we're seeing about creation versus evolution, we have the same mentality, sadly, among professing Christians. They're trusting the educated people, just like yes, the yes. education world is expecting us to trust the scientists. Trust the science, trust the rather science. Rather than God, it's the yeah. same mentality. Yep. We'll continue on this topic here in just a few minutes. Welcome back. We are talking about the King James Version of the Bible. Brother Ben Smoker with me here today. Once again, Pastor Randy Mitchell. And we are talking about the pure words of God, uh, having a copy of them preserved and so forth. Brother Ben, I know I've had people accuse me of being a Bible cult and uh, that we worship the Bible. And, you know, I guess depending on what they mean by that, I've had to confess guilty to that because when I read in the Bible, I see a connection between the written Word of God and the incarnate Word of God. Jesus in John chapter 1 is called the Word, capital W. Yes. People say, well, you're worshiping the Bible instead of worshiping Jesus. And I read in Psalm 138 and verse number 2, it says, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And if we're supposed to, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, then certainly we cannot separate Jesus from his word. And so I'm glad that I've got a Bible that's pure and preserved so that I, it's the means by which we're able to worship the Lord. Yes. And having that confidence gives me boldness, but like we talked about last segment a little bit, I want to talk a little bit more about it in this uh, segment, is that we can be confident, but we don't have to be ugly about it. And I have been around people that hold the same position as you and I have that have been 
very ugly, and I would have to say that uh, probably that's either a result of A, arrogance, or B, maybe they really don't down deep believe it, or maybe they believe it for the wrong reason, and they're eas- they easily feel threatened by someone attacking their position. That, that can be a huge, a huge problem. Um, and this is where King James Bible believers need to be really careful. Um, you know, John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if we have an obsession with the truth without having an equal obsession, if you want to call it with that, with having the right spirit about us, and that previous verse we looked at in Luke 9, Jesus said, you know not what manner of spirit ye are of, um, then that becomes problematic. Um, whilst this guy didn't invent the saying, he was the first guy I heard that said it, um, a great preacher from Australia, missionary in Thailand nowadays, Wayne Shemish. He said, anything that Baptists don't understand, they fear, and anything that Baptists fear, they attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sometimes amongst the King James Bible believers, I think is without them realizing that's what they're doing. They're, they're worried. And I think that's true for anyone, it Baptist is. or otherwise. It, it 100% is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a natural human reaction. Uh, and so some people, if they feel like that they're not, you know, they say, I'm a Bible believer. And if you say that's wonderful, why? Then they immediately feel threatened because they don't know why. And so it behooves them to uh, to not have confidence in man and not say, you know, I'm a Bible believer because that's the position my church takes. That's a, that's a very foolish and flimsy mindset to, to take. Um, unfortunately, that's how people wind up in cults. Well, I just believe what they believe because that's what my crowd teaches. You, it, it falls on us to, to trust God, but it also falls on us to check your facts, do, do your research. Uh, I feel very comfortable telling anyone that's a King James Bible believer, I say, look at the research. I'll even say, go look at what the other side's saying. Go look at the anti-King James people and, and, and see their point of view. Uh, I, I've researched them extensively. I'm not going to call them out and name them by name, but you know, I know the position of the uh, not just the position, but the the you know the the facts that they bring forward, the the, the other side of the equation, and um, and I'd say it doesn't really add up in in the end. Um, it all boils down to not whose intellect is better. It doesn't boil down to whose education is better. Um, on both sides of the equation, when we boil it down at the end of the day, there's a few simple questions that need to be asked and need to be answered from an honest heart. Um, I, I don't know anyone that's not a King James person that wouldn't say that God didn't originally give his words as being inspired. In, and they'll all say that, inspired in the original manuscripts. And at that point, we need to ask the question, um, if God can get a message from heaven and eternity to fallible human man, and if that's not beyond God's ability, why is it suddenly beyond God's ability to get it from one generation of man to the next generation of man? Because that's the, that's the whole issue of Psalm 12. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So the fact of the matter is, anyone who, has, who believes the Bible in any, any Bible in any capacity at some point has to have some faith that God preserved his word. And yes. so the issue comes down to how good was he at preserving his word? Exactly. Did he preserve it, you know, 
perfectly or did he just you know preserve it a little bit and so it comes down to a level of preservation because we don't have the originals there you go the original autographs do not exist in the smithsonian institute they haven't existed for we don't know for literally uh you know well well over a thousand years if not closer to 2,000 years. The original autographs have not existed for a very, very long time. They were written on papyrus. They were, they were copied by hand. And so, you know, the, the early Christians did not have a Bible printed like we have to carry around. And so it, it all comes down. It's going to require some faith, not just a scholar education and information there's gonna you're gonna have to trust god at some point the issue is how much do we trust god there you go and really it is it is a it is a question it is not a question of man's ability it's always has been a question of god's ability and and people who are not king james only try and reframe the conversation and with phrases like no translation is perfect and therefore no translator is perfect uh, and then at that point you've reduced it to a conversation around man's ability what they fail to address in that is that if they believe in the inspiration of the original manuscripts they believe in a perfect god getting a message to fallible man they they do they believe in very fallible man. They, they will criticize the King James translators and say, well, this one was this and that one was that, and King James himself wasn't a very good man. None of that's relevant in the first place. The original autographs of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy were given to a murderer. Mm -hmm. The original manuscript of Psalms was given to a guy who was guilty of uh, setting his best friend up to be killed and then committing adultery with, with that man's wife. Um, these are very, very fallible men. Um, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, is written by a guy who's got literally hundreds of wives and, and concubines. Um, these, are, these are very fallible humans. So if God can work through fallible humans for the purpose of inspiration, why can't he also work just as well through fallible humans for the purpose of pre preserving his word? Uh, and so... My position is not a position of faith in man's ability and man's scholarship. That's not it at all. My ability is, is that God is able. If God thought it was important to get his word perfectly to man in the first place, that same God is capable of continuing to preserve his word uh, throughout all generations. And that's what I honestly believe it boils down to. It's not a question of scholarship. It's a question of God's ability. I believe in a God who's capable of delivering a perfect Bible to residents of Statesville, North Carolina in the year 2023. If you believe otherwise, what you believe is not about intellect. It's not about education. Uh, unfortunately, if you boil it down, uh, it's, you've limited God's ability. You've said God wasn't capable of doing something that I believe that he is capable of doing. Now, if you believe and say, no, hang on, I believe God's capable of anything then I'm going to have to ask the question, then why didn't he? Mm -hmm. Well, inspiration without preservation is futile. It's, What's the it's point? irrelevant. What good does inspiration of the originals do if we don't have the preserved word of God? Why would yep. God 
give us inspiration, give us the pure word of God in the originals, and then just leave it to man. And so yep. you talked about God preserving his word through a translation, and that's a very, very important question because some people say, well, I believe in the inspiration of the original language. Mm -hmm. And yet what people fail to realize is that the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language. Yes. And Jesus' day, and listen, the disciples and Jesus himself quoted the Old Testament. Yes. And the common language that they spoke in public in Jesus' day was often Aramaic. Mm -hmm. And yet they wrote it in the language of Greek. Yep. That wasn't even their native language. Why did they write it in Greek? Well, at that time, during that generation, the world or the trade language, this was during the Roman occupation. Listen, the Romans spoke Latin, but previously there had been the Grecian Empire. And so the language of trade for the world, the most common language was the Greek language at that time. Now, over time, that faded away. In fact, the Koine Greek, which was the common Greek, we don't even have that language per se today we have classical greek and yep. there's a very you know koine is the greek language of the common person in those days so it wasn't the scholastic language and so the bible was written in koine greek uh, so that more people could get a copy of it read it and understand it that language eventually died and so we're in a generation everyone everywhere in the world would admit that for literally the last several hundred years, maybe we could go back for 500 years, English has been the language of trade for the world. And that's why I believe when God said that he would preserve his word from this generation forever, I see that promise as being fulfilled in this Bible right here. And most people think, Brother Ben, that the other versions of the Bible are just an update of the language. Folks, that is not true. That yep. is not true. Yep. This Bible right here, this King James Version that I have sitting in front of me, is the only English translation that is based upon the majority text, the Textus Receptus, there are all kinds of different manuscripts. All the other Bible versions come from a different set of manuscripts. And we don't have time to get into all of that, but I just want to make sure that our listeners know that it's not just updating the language so it's easier to understand. Very, very true. Um, I don't even know if we've got time to go into that in, in the next session uh, or not, but even the the New King James. A lot of people say that the New King James is just like the King James, but but updated. It says in the preface to the New King James, it says that variations follow the Septuagint where applicable. They're very open about that. They followed the majority text a lot of the time, but deliberately chose to, to vary to different sets of manuscripts when it suited them to do so. Mm -hmm, that's yep. right. And, you know, if you vary... Listen, it's not about the Bible being easy to understand. It's nope. about the Bible being trustworthy. Oh, and authoritative. Authoritative. Because yeah. if it's not accurate, it can't be authoritative. Yep. And that's why we make, you say, why do you make such a big deal out of this? Well, because without accuracy, we can't have a proper authority. We'll talk a little bit more about this next segment.
have an accurate, authentic, and authoritative Bible. That's what we've been talking about. Randy Mitchell, Ben Smoker. Uh, welcome back to Salt and Light. Uh, Brother Ben, we were talking a little bit last segment about the different manuscripts, and we mentioned that the King James Bible comes from the majority text or the mm -hmm. Textus Receptus. I want to briefly explain that. I mean, it's really hard to briefly explain it, yep. but if you take all of the the fragments or Bibles or scrolls, I mean, these are all archaeological findings where the Scripture has been written out. If you take all of them and put them in one pile, and if you take a handful, literally four or five of the older ones that are typically written on leather, yes. take let's say you take 2,000 different manuscripts, take four or five that are older, put them in one pile, and literally take 1,995 of the others that are typically written on paper, putting them in, a, in another pile, that pile of 1995 manuscripts would be called the majority text, the Texas yes. Receptus. Yes. They're not the oldest because they're written on paper, papyrus, rather than leather, and the leather would be considered older. And yet, if you examine those leather manuscripts, you would see all kinds of issues with them, things that have been scratched out mm -hmm. and changed mm -hmm. and I mean, all kinds of things, but the the mentality is is that older is better because it dates closer back, assuming that the more time that passes, the more corrupt that the manuscripts are going to become, and that totally violates what we've been talking about, yep. God's promise in Psalm 12, verse 6 through 7, that he would preserve his word. And so we believe that the manuscripts that are the majority they're not older, number one, because they weren't written on rich man's leather. They were written on paper that the common man had. Number two, they would get worn out because they were used. Someone was reading it. Someone was yep. reading them and using them as opposed to the old leather ones that sat in a monastery, etc. And so really the, the, there is logic and the mentality um, of being having a King James only position there it's rational it makes sense history human nature and yet we're still saying that we're trusting God's promise to preserve it not the education certainly not the logic yes yep um, majority text um, what you described there I'll give the listeners a, an actual practical example one where I know the math and know the numbers off the top of my head First uh, Timothy three sixteen, uh, our King James Bible says that God was manifest in the flesh. Very very strong uh, reference for the the teaching that Jesus uh, Christ is truly God manifest in the flesh. I know that some of the offshoots of Christianity today will deny the deity of Christ. Uh, when it comes to manuscript evidence, there of God was manifest in the flesh. Um, there are. 254 manuscripts uh, that contain 1 Timothy 3.16, 254 fragments that you were talking about there. Of those 254, 252 of the manuscripts say Theos was manifest in the flesh, God was manifest in the flesh. There are only two manuscripts out of 254 that use a, a pronoun, he, instead of Theos, God. 
and so it would be stunning. It'd be absolutely stunning to walk into any court of law anywhere and say there were 252 eyewitnesses who said that they saw this, but there were two who said that they saw that. It'd be stunning for any jury or any judge to take the authority of two over 252 and say that they were maybe say that they were better witnesses because they were older. I don't know. Uh, based on what I know, the older I get, I think that my memory gets less and less reliable with time. I might, I might be inclined to trust I was the thinking young that guys. while you were while you were saying that. That's a very good point. Um, so, so there's that. But another another thing that I wanted to touch briefly on is the question of you know was the Bible inspired? Wrong question. Uh, wrong question. The word inspiration is only used twice in the entire Bible: once in the book of Job and once in Timothy. Um, in Timothy, it says all Scripture is given not was given or not was inspired. We're not talking past tense. Uh, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Um, and then in Job, it says the inspiration of the Almighty giveth, present tense and ongoing, giveth them understanding. It doesn't say the inspiration of the Almighty gave, past tense, them understanding. So it's fascinating that the two times the Bible refers to inspiration it refers to it in a present and ongoing tense. Uh, and I believe that. I believe that that's not a coincidence. I, I believe that that's right. Uh, and I can give an example of it. Um, at the time that the King James Bible was being translated, um, from the years about 1607, I believe, was when they began uh, and finished in 1611. Um, and I just, fun fact out there, listeners, I have a page of a 1611 King James Bible uh, I bought it at a yard sale, an estate sale here in Statesville, and got it for 10 bucks. I was so happy that day. They're worth, in case you don't know, a page from a 1611 King James Bible, they're worth hundreds of dollars, and I got it for 10 bucks at a yard sale. I'm, woohoo, wow. thank you, Lord. Um, but at the time it was translated, there's a verse in 1 John chapter 2. I'll read the verse and then explain something about it. Um, it says, Whoso denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. From the word but, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. At the time the King James translators were doing uh, their work, um, those last 10 verses, they didn't have manuscripts. They didn't have Greek manuscripts containing those 10 words, but they put them in the Bible without any manuscript evidence. Uh, it's a series of 10 words, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. They put 10 words in without any manuscript evidence, and they did it based on not a Greek Bible, a Greek manuscript. They did it based on a translation, a Latin Vulgate and the old Germanic Bible. And so people could be critical and say, oh, that, that's, they had no right to do that. Well, interestingly, since that time, since 1611, I'm going to quickly read some manuscripts that have been found that contain those 10 words. The Vulgate, Syriac, Ethiopic, Coptic, Armenian, Arabic, Grishbach's text, Titman's text, Hans' text, Sahidic text. It was quoted by Oregon, Miletius, Athanasius, uh, uh, Cyril, uh, Theolactite, Vigilus, Pelagius, Serratus, Cassian, Euthalius, Epinathus, Cyprian, Hilary, uh, uh, Faustinius, Lucifer of Colligan, Augustine, and Bede. It was in Alexand Alexandrinus, and it was in four of Bede's manuscripts. Uh, in other words... Since the time that they translated and put those 10 words in, they put them in they, because they believed that it was part of, quote-unquote, inspired scripture. 
the evidence came after the fact. You know what that is? In my opinion, that is proof of God's hand on those translators. And that's all I got to say on that topic. Amen. Well, it's absolutely a, a fact, folks, that we have, I, I believe with all of my heart, that we have a pure Bible here, the Word of God here in the King James language. But listen, folks, whether you agree with us here this morning or disagree, I want to encourage all of you to read the Bible. Read it. We, we are yep. not saying that the other versions of the Bible don't contain the Word of God. We're just simply saying that this one is the pure and perfect Word of God. If you, if you don't agree with us and you have a different version of the Bible, I still want to encourage you to read it every day. It doesn't have, do us any good to talk about the Bible if we don't read it. And that is, in my opinion, Brother Ben, mm -hmm. the problem with modern Christianity. That's why we look around and we see we, a lot of church, a lot of Christianity, but we don't see a whole lot of righteousness and holiness and just the, the it's a very watered-down Christianity today, and I believe it's because we have a watered-down Bible and then the people, people say, well, I like this Bible because it's easier to understand. I find that most of them aren't even reading that Bible. And so what I would encourage you folks, I, 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 I'd love for you to get a King James Version. Read it every day. You say, mm -hmm. well, I don't understand what I just read. Look, Brother Ben, when I eat a meal, I don't understand all of the nutrients I don't always read the label, but I know that it gives me nourishment. I know it gives my body what I need. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It's the food. It's the hidden manna. It is what we need to feed our souls spiritually so that we can grow. And it's milk, it's meat, it's all of those things, and it is our spiritual nourishment. And so whether you are of the same position as us, read the Bible every day. Yep. Try the King James Version of the Bible. Yep. Read it faithfully. Make it a habit to where I get up just a few minutes early every morning and I start out the day. There, listen, there were some good people that founded our nation, and many of them had habits where they would read the Bible every day. They didn't, I wouldn't say I agree with everything that they believe. But I do believe that we all ought to read the Word of God every day. It'll change your life. Well, Brother yep. Ben, it has been great to be here on Salt and Light. Appreciate you coming in. It's been a joy. I love the Bible, and mm -hmm. I love to talk about mm -hmm. it. And I appreciate uh, all that yep. you have done to help out today. I hope that we've been a good example of what it's like to be King James only without being King James ugly. Amen. Uh, you know, if we love the Word of God, then we just need to read it, listen to it, and follow it. The Holy Spirit will give you understanding if you'll just be patient. We appreciate you taking the time to join us at Salt and Light. It is our desire that you experience the joy of following Jesus Christ. He loves you and he died on the cross for your sins. He will give you hope, peace, and eternal life if you will repent of your sins and trust him as your savior. You may see yourself as a good person, but you will never be good enough to deserve heaven. You may see yourself as bad, but you can never be too bad for Jesus to forgive you. You can call upon him to save you this very moment. If you are a born-again Christian, we want to encourage you to obey Christ's command and be salt and light to those around you. We encourage you to find a Bible-believing church that does not compromise or water down the Bible. Get involved serving the Lord. 
If you have a Bible question or a particular issue you would like us to discuss on Salt and Light, visit our website at templebaptistnc.com. Click on the Salt and Light link. Once again, that's templebaptistnc.com. May the Lord bless you. We hope you'll join us again next week.